You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Start here today, the mission of our church. The mission of Hope Bible Church on the screen for you. The fulfillment, glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. It's the mission of this church to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, the spirit of the Great Commandment. So I was meeting this week with um, Pastor Greg Vandaloo, again, one of our excellent pastors. Each week we walk through the outline together, preparing for the groups uh, this week and the curriculum, pulpit curriculum they'll be going through. And he was uh, talking through with me how a mission statement for an organization is um, often seen as the end goal. The mission statement serves as the, what are we trying to accomplish in the end, as, as the end goal, and then contrasting that with the vision of an organization, where the vision is how the organization often, not always, but how often pursues that goal then. So the mission statement, again, describes the, the goal, the end goal, where we're trying to end up, and the vision is the process, again, how we're seeking to pursue and to accomplish that end goal. I was listening to Greg kind of say that to me, I'm like, yeah, that's... That's right, that's, that's so good. So, so then vision is the pathway to mission. That's what we do today. We articulate the vision of the church on the pathway to see the mission of the church accomplished. So our sermon title today is this. It's what is the vision of the church? That, of course, is big C church. This is global church. That is universal church. What is the vision for the church given to us again by God in his word, Christ, the Holy Spirit, by the authors he inspired? This is a vision for all time, every century, every nation, every culture. It doesn't change. It's always been this way. It will always be this way because it's in God's word this way. For this vision today, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be looking at just a couple of verses. And really, really just two verses. Where Paul, filled by the Holy Spirit, 1 Timothy 3, is articulating, listen carefully, the most important and pure vision the church is to hold. When you boil it down, this is what's most important. It's the vision on the pathway to mission. I want to say this today, okay, for those who are listening right now and here as we go to this passage. This is not an exhaustive vision today. There's many, many passages we could turn to. But this is a priority vision. You could say this is a start here vision or a when in doubt do this vision. Or first things first, vision. I think you get it. So often we make things so complicated. So often we're so distracted by things that could even be good, yet we neglect that which is best. Again, today's message in 1 Timothy 3, this is strip it all down. This is what is most important for the basic, fundamental, spirit-filled, power-empowered vision for the church. 1 Timothy 3, 
verse 14. Take a look. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, here's the purpose, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now at first read of those verses right there, some of you may not initially see the profundity or the beauty within. So let's take a closer look. When you read those verses, you're like, how is that the primary or priority vision for the church? Again, let's break it down. What is the vision of the church? Point number one, this, to be a household of godliness and power. To be a household of godliness in Christ and power of the Holy Spirit. Paul here is writing to Timothy and the church of Ephesus. He is providing the blueprints of the church. He is providing vision for Timothy and the church. Notice in verse 14, Paul says, I'm writing these things to you so that, that's the Hina clause, whatever comes next is describing what is most important, at least the purpose, the purpose of the letter. Notice in verse 15, If I delay, here's the purpose, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So Paul here is stating the purpose of the letter. He's actually bringing all six chapters of 1 Timothy into context. And his purpose here is to establish the path for godliness and power in God's house. Because that is the priority vision the path to godliness and power in the household of God. Let's grab some context just to how much godliness is included within the letter, again, of 1 Timothy. I want to put up, there's 10 times godliness is used in 1 Timothy. We'll look at six of them. Notice this. Notice the, again, the the pervasive commands of godliness. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The importance of godliness among women, again, in the church. Next slide. 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, so much of that right now, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Next slide. 1 Timothy 5, 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show God the importance of godliness to the Lord and the home and the family and the church to their own household, to make some return of their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Next slide. 1 Timothy 6.3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Godliness is one of the greatest ways to understand again the reality of false teaching and the problems of it and the danger of it. We combat that and we further the teaching of godliness to make sure the church continues to persevere in the times that we live. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Look at that. The importance of godliness in our lives. In this sense with contentment. Last slide. 1 Timothy 6.11 But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee sinful tendencies. Flee sexual morality. Flee the things that are filthy. Flee rampant wickedness. Rather pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Godliness is a huge deal to God in his house. We see right here the passion for God, for godliness in his house. And just maybe even stopping at this point and praying, Oh Lord, break us in our sin that taints your house. Break us of our sin that taints and pollutes your house even now, even here right now. Break us of the sin that exists in this room right now. Break us of the sin that is ruining our affection and ruining our worship and ruining our relationships. Break us of the sin that we try to excuse away and rationalize and somehow downplay. Break us of that sin and restore your church to a path of godliness that we might know and encounter the reality of the power of God in our midst. The purpose of the church is to be a household of godliness, not compromise, not sin, And not excuses of the sin that's killing us and ruining us. God, break us of the sin that taints your house. This house, whole Bible church house. Lead men and women and children to repentance. For the glory of Jesus Christ. And start in me. Start in me. Wonder Jesus says is one of the primary commands of the entire church and all his people seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't forget that part. The best ways we seek the kingdom of God is to seek the righteousness of the Lord. What sin in your life must be exposed right now? And what godliness must you pursue right now? I'm in a weekly leadership group with some of our strongest leaders in our church right now. We're reading a chapter in Charles Spurgeon on really some of these themes of holiness and watchfulness and purity within our lives. And he described this example of a train 100 years ago on the American Railway that was brought to a halt. The train ceased to work grind to a halt on the track, and they discovered the reason the train was brought to a halt was there was an accumulation of flies in the grease box. Flies getting in, in the grease box, and caused the whole train, the whole thing to cease. What a metaphor that is for our lives and our church. As a virus infects a computer and shuts the whole thing down, Sin infects our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our families, our relationships, our churches, and can shut the whole thing down. What sin grieves the Holy Spirit 
pollutes our lives and our worship. Oh, the power of godliness and the purity in the church. The power of godliness and purity in the church. Crawford Loritz, he said this, God wants to serve his meals on clean plates. That's good. God wants to serve his meals on clean plates. We are to be a household of godliness. The priority and vision of the church is also to be a household of power. Look at verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Notice this, which is the church of the living God. Which is the church of the living God. Which is the church of the living God. So think about it, church. The only hope the Israelites had in the Old Testament, the only hope they had, and all that they sought to do was that the living God was among them. Without his presence, they were done. They had no chance of defeating their enemies. They had no chance of favor. They had no chance of blessing. They had no chance of a path forward. They were entirely dependent upon the presence of God that was among them. It was his presence that spurred them onto, again, holiness before him and obedience to his ways. Over and over again, all through Scripture, the contrast of mute and dead idols. Idols that cannot speak. Idols that cannot walk. Idols that cannot, again, hear or see. Idols that are dead compared to the power and the glory of the living God. In the Old Covenant, though, the presence of God was limited to the tabernacle. And the presence of God was limited to the temple. Now, astoundingly, under the new covenant, the presence, the Holy Spirit, the power of God now dwells within the temple still, but the temple has moved into every single heart that is alive in Jesus Christ where we are now called temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now dwells in us, saved and born again by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about that then. In that sense then, church, we are to give proof that God is alive. Our lives are to show and to demonstrate that the power of God is real among us. As it says in 1 Corinthians, that unbelievers will walk in and they will fall on their face and declare that the glory of God is really among you. See, this is not man's church. This is not culture's church. This is God's church. We must act like it. Why? Because we are the church of the living God. Just think about that. The church of the living God. The church of the living God. Lord, show us your glory. God, show us, show us your power. Think about this then. How critical when we gather together. How critical that we gather together. The church of the living God. The church of the living God can't be in isolation perpetually. This can't be a solo mission. The church of the living God gathered in this way. What we're experiencing today even together. You can't find that by yourself at home. You can't. There's something so special, supernaturally, again, empowered by the reality of God's people gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. The power, the joy, the unity, the shared victory. 
the hearing of the preaching of God's word together, the prayers together, the worship of Jesus Christ together. Just think on this. When we are scattered as the church, that is one thing. But then the gathering, the ecclesia, those who belong to the Lord gather together in the Lord. To gather as his people and the awareness of his presence. And you and I both know, if you're alive in Jesus Christ right now, you and I both know that by far, not even close, the single greatest moments of our lives is here together in the presence of the Lord. Where life change happens and where Christ is glorified, there is nothing that compares with that, no matter where we are in this world or what we're doing. There is nothing better, more beautiful and powerful than the presence of God being shared, us together again, with the Lord and glorifying Jesus Christ. The household of God, the church, is to be a household of godliness and power. And listen, listen, when that happens, everything else falls into place. We're so distracted We're so confused at times. We're we're running around. If we could just be a household of godliness and the power of God, you know how much would fall into place. You know it. I know it. If we would repent of our sin and pray and seek the Lord and long for his power, there are so many issues in this room right now that would fall to the wayside because they don't matter in light of the presence and the glory of Jesus Christ. God, forgive us. Repent with me. Repent with me in these days. Repent with me. Spiritual laziness, distraction with the world, consumed with materialism, so selfish. So selfish. Repent with me. Repent with me. God, forgive us and heal our land. God, forgive us and move in us. Pray for brokenness. Pray for the power of God's presence. Listen, our purity is a million times more important than our programs. A million times more important. The power of God and the presence of God is a million times more important than any politics here in the church or outside the church. But how many people are so caught up with politics that they're denying the pursuit of the presence of God in their lives? It's got to change. We'll forfeit his power and forfeit his favor and forfeit his blessing as long as the issues of our world are taking priority over the presence of God in our lives. You know, you know what you're hearing right now is true and right. You can't argue it with a Bible that's open. You can't. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to repent. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord to renew his church. God, start with me. God, start with me. The vision of the church, a household of godliness and power. Number two, the vision of the church to declare and to defend the truth. To declare 
and to defend the truth. Verse 15, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Love this phrase. A pillar is what? It supports a structure. But it also allows the structure to be seen from a distance. A buttress speaks of support, foundation. It allows a building to remain steady through storms and trials. The church then, according to this brilliant passage, is to be the support, the foundation, and the defender of the truth of God. The implications of this truth for us today. God has entrusted his church with his truth. What are we doing with it? We must hold to his truth at all costs. We are to defend his truth no matter what. We are to unapologetically proclaim his truth, whether in season or out of season. Let me remind you of the four pillars of Hope Bible Church. Number one, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Lifting high the name of Christ in worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. I want you to see there is no other pillars without the first pillar. The first pillar leads to everything else because in the first pillar, the word of God and proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology is where we get all truth for Christendom and our Christian faith and the church itself. A pillar and buttress of the truth. When you look at our text, notice the conclusion, okay? Notice the conclusion. There is no church apart from God's truth. If we don't have the truth, there is no church. Here's how John Stott puts it on the screen for you. This is so good. He says this, the church depends on the truth for its existence. Think about that. There is no church apart from the Bible. We wouldn't know how to be the church. We wouldn't know who Christ is. There's no path to salvation or knowledge of salvation. But notice the truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. So well said. Oh, the vision of the church then is to understand if we lose the truth, we lose everything. It cannot be watered down. Ears cannot be tickled. Capitulation to culture cannot occur. But this is happening around us. Watering down, capitulation, ears being tickled is happening around us. Let me show you an excerpt from the United Church of Canada from a few years ago. Listen to this. Listen carefully and be discerning as you read. Authority is neither simply outside nor inside us. That already, that already has me worried. The Bible cannot stand alone. It is confirmed. I am very worried. Our United Church tradition recognizes this fact. We affirm that the Bible is our sacred text, but not in the sense that the Bible was actually written by God. Okay, Right there, everything starts to fall apart. The whole thing's done right there. If you don't think God wrote the book, then who did? And why does it matter at that point? You can't have it both ways. 
You can't say, well, it's good, but it's not God. The whole thing implodes. They continue on in this paper. Hence, the basis of union does not say the Bible is the Word of God, but that it contains it tremendously dangerous and disastrous. In short, we are left to discern what is the Word of God today. It's over. While the Bible has an undeniable central role in our efforts to discern God's will for us in our time, it is not the only authority. Then what is? You? The culture? The politician? The church leader? If the Bible is not our authority, then who is? And at this point, at this point, everything falls apart. And that denomination has fallen apart. That's why. When you lose the truth, you lose everything. The desire to be liked by people around us in the fear of man or appeasing the culture, then you lose the fear of God and you lose the approval of God because God wrote a book and he calls us to be a pillar and buttress of truth in defense of it, again, without compromise on any level. God help us. See what happens here when you just read that quote right there? Instead of being a pillar and buttress of truth, with that statement, you become a quicksand of truth. And then no power, no life, no Christ, no salvation, no gospel, no point. This is why it was Paul who says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is why Peter says, Peter says again, but you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but an imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. This is why the author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive and active, piercing and division between soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. This is why James says again, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, but with meekness, again, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is why Jesus says again, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The church that waters down or denies the Bible is just about to ruin its whole purpose of its existence. When you leave the truth, you leave God behind. One of the single greatest purposes of our existence as the church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. When you lose this vision, you lose everything. God help us. God, lead us to pray. The vision of the church, godliness and power, defense and proclamation of the truth. Thirdly, most importantly, to proclaim Jesus Christ. The vision of the church to proclaim Jesus Christ. Verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What's that about? The the phrase great indeed can be translated great beyond all question. 
In other words, without a doubt, the mystery of godliness is great. Mystery here by Paul refers to that which was previously unknown, but has now been revealed. So whatever Paul's referring to here, then this is the epitome, this is the secret, this is the key to godliness. This is the path to power. And what we find out here, that this mystery is what makes the church possible. Listen, his name is Jesus Christ. It makes the church possible. So what follows now is a six-line hymn or an early creed that testifies to the power of the church, its vision for the church. Again, the rest of verse 16 there, notice, He, Christ, was manifested in the flesh. God the Son became human. Perfect godliness chose to put on human skin. John 1.14 says, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. No sin was found in him. His obedience was perfect. Therefore, the Holy Spirit would vindicate Christ. So there we see he was vindicated by the Spirit. No other human could even come close to that reality. This is why Jesus Christ died but did not stay dead. Because he was vindicated by the Spirit. That is so awesome. The greatest turning point in the history of the world. Listen, the Spirit of God sees The Spirit of God sees that sin has been paid for, that the wrath of God has been appeased. He sees here that perfect substitution had been made. He sees that death has been ultimately defeated. And therefore, Jesus Christ, although dead, does not remain dead. He is raised from the dead as the first fruits of eternal life. This early hymn goes on to say, he was seen by angels. See that there? He was seen by angels. This simply means that angels attended to Jesus. They announced his birth. Angels ministered to him after his temptation. Angels strengthened him in Gethsemane. An angel was the one who rolled away the stone at the tomb. The two angels were at his ascension. The glory that was given to the perfect godliness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This early hymn goes on to say he was proclaimed among the nations. This is reference to the Great Commission, the mandate of the church to make disciples of all nations. How? By proclaiming the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. There is one name that is to be proclaimed and one name alone. That's why all today, it's our story, it's our song, It's our vision to proclaim Jesus Christ to a lost and and dying world. The text goes on to say he was believed on in the world. Isn't it so miraculous that Jesus Christ through 12 disciples literally changed the entire world? How many millions and billions of lives have believed and have been utterly transformed over the course of history? This is why, again, history is centered on Jesus Christ. And every single day, thousands and thousands and thousands of lives are changed by Jesus Christ. Our vision is to proclaim his name because he is the head of the church. And it ends here, it says he was taken up in glory. What is that? It's the ascension of Jesus Christ. 
Because of his perfect godliness, he was received into perfect glory. Man, to be one of those disciples on the day of the ascension of Jesus Christ as he was taken up into heaven. And remember the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? And they go on to say, he will return the way he went into heaven. All the fuel for vision, again for our vision, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this by Paul to say that Jesus Christ is the source of all life. He is the whole reason of our existence and he is the purpose of this church. And that is why we proclaim his name. Let me end with this brilliant quote by James Francis Allen on Jesus. Listen carefully, he said this. Here is a man who was born in an in, um, obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials for him but himself. He had nothing to do with this world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends, his friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave for the pity of a friend. And James Francis ends with this, 19 wide centuries, now 20 wide centuries have come and gone today, and yet he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. His name is Jesus Christ. And today he offers life to you and forgiveness of sins and life eternal with him in heaven forever if you would turn from sin and believe in him as the Lord and Savior of your soul and the Lamb of God sent to die that he might pay again in sacrifice for our sins but be raised from the dead. Church, if there's any vision for the church, he's it. What is the vision of the church? Godliness, power, truth, Jesus. Let's pray. The vision of the church, household of godliness and power the pillar and buttress of truth, and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Father, so much here today, and I pray for so much power in the lives of your people. I pray for repentance. I pray for faith. I pray for joy. I pray for vision. 
pray for vision upon your people in church in such a glorious and new way. Lead us now as we sing and respond. Move, O Lord, move, we pray. In Jesus' name.